Thanks. If you could turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to 1 John 5. We finish, as as Peter said, we're going to finish our series on 1 John today. And we're going to look at John's conclusion of this, his first letter. And John provides us with wisdom and affirmation that each of us can use today. There's two things, I suppose, regards that. Keep ourselves from things that are ungodly and live purposefully showing Christ to everyone that we encounter. So we heard last week from Richard that John is, and so should we be clear on this, he who has life, sorry, has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. And John extends that today when he finishes, we're going to look at some of the great statements that he has and consider these this morning. So let's just read John, uh, 1 John 5. Excuse me, 13 to 21. So 1 John 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, thank you, son, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who, is, who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So I want to look at two things, uh, two uh, points really, and then um, just have some final thoughts. Um, So the first thing is, I want to look at is believers have eternal life. John writes this letter for the same reason he wrote the gospel. Sorry, his gospel. So that those who read it, believe it, and may know that he knows that if we believe in Christ, we have and shall have eternal life with him. The gospel was written for one purpose, to evangelize, to show how to have eternal life with Christ and how to reveal who and, and to reveal who is the Messiah and what we need to do to know him. And this letter was written to encourage us that we may know we have eternal life. It's the kind of part two of John. Um, it's what's next, and that's what John is addressing here. So let's have a look, quick look at some of the things that um, that John is saying. In verse 14. I'll just read it again. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we are reminded that prayer 
allows us to come before God. Our confidence in prayer is because of our faith in Him. In Him whom, in whom we are, I'm sorry, our confidence in prayer is because of our faith in Him and we can, and our confidence in Him. And prayer has always been and will always be a God thing. It is one of the primary things that we have, or mechanisms that we have to communicate with God, to listen to Him, to communicate with Him, and for Him to, to talk to us. And maybe just as a side note here, sometimes, you know, we, we talk about praying for people. And actually praying for people is a gift. It's a privilege. It's a good thing. It's a pleasure, actually, to pray for people. But we shouldn't, because, and we often do, we treat it quite flippantly, don't we? We just sort of in passing say, oh, well, we'll pray for you. And um, I think we kind of misuse that a little. So I appreciate it. It's just a side note, but just... You know, if someone asks for prayer and we say we'll pray, actually what we're committing to is not only to them, but we're also committing to God that we'll come before him and talk to him about and have communion communion with him. And then when we go, well, we we don't do that, I think God also looks at that as though we've let him down a little, isn't it? We've made that commitment and and um, we've broken that appointment with him. And so it's just something to be cautious of, I think. If we say we're going to pray for someone, let's do that. For two reasons. One, the person who we're praying for, I think, could benefit from our prayer. But the other thing is, of course, it's an opportunity to get before God and to communicate with him. So to go back to what I was saying. Therefore, when we come to God in prayer, we can do it boldly because we know him. And that's actually the the point of knowing God, isn't it? Is our, our confidence and our faith. Uh, and it uh, should allow us to come to him boldly. We are his children after all. And he looks out for us and he blesses us. And so we can come to that, that we can come to him confidently. And we know that confidence should also be that we know that he will provide wisdom and answers. And he does that according to his will. And when we ask God in prayer, we ask God for what? His will, not ours. Yeah. So, and then of course the natural question comes, which I often answer. I mean, I often ask, what is God's will? So I just wanted to put a few things out there. I'm not, you know, without uh, exploring will and spending hours on it. But how do we know the will of God? You know, sometimes scripture makes it very clear for us. I mean, I'll give you an example. Don't sin. That's the will of God. It's quite easy. Sometimes it's not that clear, though. But I'm saying sometimes the will of God is just simple. And we don't need to look beyond what some of the words actually just say. Just do it. But sometimes our spiritual maturity and discernment guide us in our prayers. So our prayer life, you know, in terms of how we're praying and what we're praying and also what we hear from God can help us understand the will of God. Sometimes it requires, I think, asking of ourselves, what would God do here? What's going on here and what would God's response be? What would Jesus do in this situation? I'm not saying let's all go and get wristbands, but sometimes it is just a reflection on what's going on and how do we do this and how should we, should we behave or, or respond in this situation. And sometimes it requires us to go to family, church family, those who are close to us. 
and ask them to discern what God is saying and what is his will. Because sometimes we can't see that our vision is clouded and things that we, you know, sometimes you justify, you think you've got a good thing, don't you? And sometimes you then work out all the justification of why it should be like that when actually we miss um, sometimes what God is saying. And just a final couple of things on that. You know, the will of God will always line up and honor Scripture. God doesn't suddenly decide that he doesn't honor the word in his will. That is just That just does not happen. Because um, I've heard some wacky things that people have said sometimes about, oh, well, I'm behaving in this way because God's told me. And you go, really? Um, does that line up with the word? No. Wow. I think maybe you need to go and seek God again. Um, and the other thing to say is, of course, well, in, in that vein, is uh, this is not, prayer is not about uh, to be viewed, I don't think, in my view, about God getting into our boat. <laughs> He's the navigator. What we need to do is be following him. Not, I'm going over here, Lord, why don't you hop into my boat? So let's just look at verse 15. It says, and, we know, and, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the, the petitions that we have asked of him. So I think that's why John is quite confident in that statement. We know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. We get the things that we ask for when they're in God's will. Yeah, And we should do that confidently. Why? Because we know God. We know him. What a lot of us get uncomfortable about, I certainly do, sometimes, is we think, hmm, the answer hasn't come. And we don't think God's waiting. What we think is, hmm, it must be no. And um, I'm, not, I'm not convinced of that. You know, if God's will is perfect and God knows what each of us needs and what we, we don't fully understand that, then his timing is perfect. And I'm not excusing why some things don't appear to be answered. Some prayers don't appear to be answered. What I am saying is I'm going to stick my faith firmly into the foundation that God answers prayer and he does it in his time, in his way, and how he's going to do it. And it's going to be the best thing for us and the best thing for the situation. God's will for us is not our greed or our success. It's about his plan and his, and, um, and his love for us and what he's doing with us. Um, and it should come out of our love for him and our desire for a relationship with him because that's what his response is for us. His desire is he loves us and his desire is for a relationship with us. And this should motivate us to want to spend more time with him. And we can boldly come into his presence because he knows. And I want to just take a a slight um, sidetrack here, I suppose, in one sense. But the good news is we have eternal life. That's what John is saying here. That's what he's encouraging us about. What does that mean? What is the point of it? I mean, I sometimes sit there thinking, it's all of us have this question, isn't it? Am I going to be okay? Yeah. Whether it's finances, whether it's health, whether it's spirituality, it doesn't matter what you're looking at. We all have this, I think, we all have this burning question, am I going to be okay? 
what John is telling us here is it's good. It's okay. We've got it. Eternal life is ours. What's the point, though? What is the point of having eternal life? And I think part of that is we need to obviously read further into the word, but some of the key things is we can experience some of those benefits right now. That's the point of having eternal life. You know what? I've got the promise and the seal that things in the future are sorted. So that means I can live right now like it means something. And I can really have an impact on people around me here, church family, but maybe even more importantly, those who are not in the family. Because actually it's okay. And they also need to hear the message that it's okay. This morning we were praying, so this is a complete aside. This morning we were praying, and Angie was praying about um, how we filter things and some things like that, and God gave me a picture this morning. And I've, while we were worshiping, I've just prayed a bit more about that, but I'll give you the picture. I, just, I, I saw God standing in front of his cellar. Just go with it for the moment. And he looked out, and he was looking out, and there were billions of bottles of wine. I didn't actually give all the detail when I was sitting in the prayer meeting, but there was so, much, so many bottles of wine, you can't actually see them all. And um, what I said in the prayer meeting was, one of the things is it, doesn't matter, it does matter about the impurities in us, because our, our journey to spirituality and to salvation, of course, is to work on the things in us to become more Christ-like. But God looks at each bottle and tastes it and goes, it is good. And I'm sure that's a message for people, for, for all of us. God looks at each one of us, and we're in his kingdom, and you know what? It's good. You're good. You taste great. The thing is, when, the, the thing that came to me while, I was, while we were worshiping, because I was asking God, just show me a little bit more about this picture. Can you imagine billions of bottles of wine? Each one has its own unique flavor. Each one has its own taste. Each one is special. Each one is good. Yeah. The reason it's there is to be poured, to be given to someone else. So can you imagine all the souls that don't yet know Christ? We are the taste that is specifically for someone else, that they don't know, that, that for those who don't know Christ. That is something specific. And God looks at it and he looks at him. Oh, this is the one. Yeah, this is the one pulls us out so that we can touch them and that they can know that God is good and that they too can have that experience of being in his cellar. And there are billions of bottles, each one unique, each one designed, each one matured by God so that he can touch some, we can touch somebody else, something else. Yeah, We are the perfect taste for somebody else. Each one of us, we need to hear that. We are the perfect taste for somebody else because that's how God has chosen to make his name known, is that we would go, we would be the one that impacts somebody else and touches their lives so that they can know him. Yeah? Sorry, that was just an aside. The good news is we have eternal life, and that is some of the benefits of eternal life, isn't it? Things are sorted. That means I can, I can go and tell, and I can share, or we can share the benefits of the kingdom right now. Second point. As children of God, let's stop sinning. Yeah, it's hard, I know. But let's look at verses 16 and 17. 
If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Anyone confused here? I was a little bit confused. I'm not saying I've got all the answers here either, but, you know, what sin will lead to death? Look, sin is bad. I'm not, you know, sin ultimately leads to death if we don't have Christ, of course, because we then have a redeemer. We have someone who can stand in our place. We have salvation. But what is John talking about here? Look, there's some very clever scholars and very wise people. I'm just going to give you four things and then about that very quickly, and then we'll look at um, what I think John is saying. The first thing I could say is a particularly bad sin that God will not pardon. So sorry, I'm looking at what sin would lead to death, yeah? A particularly bad sin that God will not pardon. The problem with that is, Nothing else in the New Testament says that will suggest that God doesn't pardon sin. I mean, even Peter even cursed and denied he knew Jesus, and of course, he was restored to grace. Some might think, of course, if we take that approach, that, you know, sin has a scale. I'm just here to tell you, sin doesn't really have a scale. I appreciate the consequences do, but sin itself... And in my understanding, no scale. And of course, is there really such a thing as a sin that's so big that's bigger than God? I, I can't get my head around that. So, 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 so the first thing is, is there such a thing that a sin that's so bad that God can't pardon it? Anyway, number two. It could refer to some sort of apostasy, I guess. What does that mean? Falling away from our faith? John, uh, 1 John 3, we, we, you know, we learned that um, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. And I guess if you've fallen away, you were never part of faith in the first place. Now how can we, if we're part of the family of God, falling away is a problem, isn't it? I would, I would t- test some of those, the bits around salvation and other things. Um, Anyway, a person who's part of the faith will, faith will continue to desire to be close to and want to know more of God and, to, and invest in that relationship. The third thing it could be is, of course, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew tells us that there is a sin that's unforgivable um, and cannot be forgiven. In Matthew twelve thirty-one to 32, it says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. The challenge here is, of course, John says to this, sorry, he talks about a brother. Now, I think there is a sin that we can commit against the Holy Spirit, what I struggle with to understand is how on earth could we do that as Christians or as someone who knows God? I just It just doesn't connect, does it? And then, of course, lastly, I, I, some, some scholars say, of course, it has to do with physical death. 
you know, for, an exa- for example, Ananias and Sapphira sinned so badly that God took their life. The problem with that that I have is when a person dies, what's the point of praying for them in terms of salvation? Um, the eternity is already sealed. So that doesn't seem to make sense uh, in terms of what, well, and also the Bible, of course, makes no mention of a waiting room. Yeah, there is no waiting room. So there's so many conflicting views. How can we know which one's correct? Well, I think the answer is actually found in what John continues to speak about here. We are to pray for brothers who are sinning, which is in line with God's will. I don't mean the sinning is, the praying is, yeah? So for brothers and sisters, people who sin, we should be praying for them. Even Jesus prayed for Peter on the night of his betrayal. But we have prayed for you, Simon. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that, you, that your faith will not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, I think one of the things that John's encouraging us to do here is to strengthen one another. Pray for one another. Let's stop sinning. But you know what the, the reality of that is, is it's hard. But that's where prayer comes in. Let's pray for one another so that we can be encouraged to do that. It's a good thing to pray for one another. It's living, it's living, or Christian living at its best. So those are the two things I want, or the two points I wanted to pull out of John's, uh, from those few verses of, of, as John closes this letter. And then I, I just want to close with looking at the last few th- uh, verses that he says. John ends with the three we know statements. And I don't want to do too much around there, but I just want to read those for us because they are great affirmations and great things of confirmation about our faith. Um, it should build us up and encourage us in the walk. The first one is, let's just read 1 John 5.18 again. It says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. I think what uh, John is saying here in terms of that it does not sin is that is our journey, isn't it? Our journey is to be one where we do not sin. But the important bit here that I want to pull out is that we are safe and we cannot be harmed by the devil. I know he's still around and I know he can influence things around us, but the point is God is our anchor and we know that. We know that because of the Holy Spirit and because of what Jesus has done for us. If we look at 5.19, we get the second um, we know. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Interesting but here is, we are not under Satan's control. The rest of the world is, but we are not. We're under Christ's authority. And we're under his authority forever. So something to remember. These are statements that John is pushing out for us to be reminded of, to, rem- to remember things. And finally, 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. See, the Son came to give us understanding which leads to salvation, and therefore we are in him. We are made free to have it. We are made free, and we have eternal life, which is life with God forever. And remember, 
the point of having a life forever is that we can be poured to be given to someone else. Yeah? So that they too can have a life forever. And then we come to the the final throwaway line almost that John throws in, which says, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> Don't you just love the way he's just so factual? It's just matter of fact, isn't it? Statement after statement after statement after statement just out it comes. We've talked a little about this, and I just want to, I suppose, close on this. Let's work at keeping ourselves from things that are not of God. It is hard sometimes. Some of these things are exciting, aren't they? They're twinkly and blingy and whatever. But let's keep ourselves from idols. You know, God has poured out his life for us. And there's, there's so many benefits of being in the kingdom. I think sometimes we spend so much time looking at, and it's, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be Christ-centered, but sometimes we spend so much time looking at Christ but we don't look through Christ at the kingdom and what actually the point is. The point of Christ and of coming into a relationship with him is to be in the kingdom. And the kingdom is great. The kingdom is wonderful. And we can experience that here now on earth and actually start to experience those benefits now. So let's focus intently on living for him, honoring him, and desiring more of him. Amen.